0: Okay, Carl Fogel, welcome to, to LaunchPod and also to the Launchpad team. Could you tell us a little bit about what your your role in the team is? Uh, yeah, it's the the
1: title is uh, interesting, actually. It's Launchpad Ombudsman. Yeah. Um, which uh, we were thinking of calling it Launchpad Evangelist, um, and decided not to because uh, I think we decided that the evangelism had to work in both directions. Um, that Launchpad needs to be explained better to the world, but also that we need to sort of be looking at what people need and how Launchpad meets it um, and have a kind of independent observer doing that, someone who's new to Launchpad, uh, which I was. I had actually I possibly never used Launchpad before coming on board. I'd just been using a different system um, as part of my work, and, and I hadn't been involved in any projects that were using Launchpad. Uh, so I'm coming in as a complete newbie um, and sort of discovering discovering the Launchpad way of working and the Bizarre way of working. So, so that's the long-term role. And there's also a sort of a more short-term role, which is that we're open-sourcing Launchpad, uh, as you know, and listeners may already know, or if they don't, they know it now. Um, and this uh, actually, this is going to be an interesting and I think unique uh, open-sourcing of a hosted service because launchpad not only does time based releases i mean there's a new launchpad coming out pretty much regularly every every month right yeah um, every 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 month more or less yeah every month more or less i mean the, the exact day varies a little bit but it's basically once a month and on top of that which is that's already unusual but on top of that uh there's the continuous beta testing program the um you know the edge.launchpad.net which means that when we open source it as we get contributions um, we can tell people, you know, if you fix a bug or you make an improvement over in some area, you're going to see that go live uh, pretty much right away in the continuous beta testing and go live for all users uh, within a month of making it. And I think that's a tremendous motivator for people. I mean, in other projects where the releases are, first of all, they tend to be like six months apart, and second of all, they're not regular. So it's six months of the average, but you can't actually predict when your fix will go live to people that can be a real discouragement uh, to participation. Developers say, "Well, look, I, you know, I need this bug fix now, but it's not really worth the effort to me if I'm going to have to maintain it as a as a patch against the sources for you know X months for an unknown amount of time."
0: So um, th- th- there's there's difference, though, between a, a project that's released its uh, source code under a, a free or an open source license and one that actively sets up a community process for um, uh, for opening the development process, let's say. So is Launchpad going to be open to contributions? We're not just going to put the code out there and say, there you go, do what you want with it. We are actually going to welcome and encourage community uh, yeah. contributions.
1: We, we are, although we're doing it again in a, in a somewhat unique way in that the goal, our goal, and I, I think that we'll find that this is also the community's goal in the end is, or most of the community's goal, is to not only improve launchpad the code but but improve the code that is running on launchpad.net specifically that is our hosted platform um, because if you have if you have you know ten zillion different sites all running slightly different versions of the launchpad code, then there isn't one sort of community site that open source uh, or shall I say free software uh, projects can coalesce around um, there's a, a big benefit to to having projects on the same site. First of all, developers can share their, you know, they use the same developer account, the same role between different projects. Um, they uh, accumulate karma. because Karma has a technical uh, meaning in Launchpad. Um, across all their projects, projects can, can sort of interact with each other. That is something that, although it could be done between different Launchpad installations via APIs to some degree, it's a, much better to do it within one site so we are opening it up. We're not just throwing the source code over the wall. We're opening it up to community contributions. But we're also going to make a special effort to see to it that those community contributions get back on launchpad.net and that they are done in such a way that they encourage people to use launchpad.net specifically. Um, so I've got a bunch of ideas about, about how to do that. Um, maybe I'll... You know, I, I feel sort of it's, it's dangerous to say them all because who knows, we might do some of these ideas and not do others and, you know, it's let the cat out of the bag. But one thing I was thinking was, um like any large complex piece of software, launchpad is hard to get up and running. Uh not not hard like in rocket science, but you know, it's not just a matter of you configure, make, make, install, and then you press the button, right?
0: You, you say it's not rocket science, but our um our installation script is actually called rocket fuel setup, isn't
1: it? <laughs> uh isn't this I've forgotten about that, yes. Um and I think that's probably there's a reason for that. Um it, it certainly uh it certainly does take some some serious documentation reading and, and, you know, fiddling. And one thing we can do to make uh, developers' lives a lot easier, if, if we have the resources, and this isn't a, a commitment, this is just an idea, is uh, have a few, a few testing boxes up where basically they have launchpad images or pre up launchpads ready to go. And if you're a, a reasonably trusted member of the community or, or even just someone with a patch, and you, you put your, your patch, your bundle, um, into the appropriate place. And you hit a button. It'll reset one of those instances to come up with your change. And there'll be some data already in there. And then you can add more if you need. And basically, we'll make it so that you can do LaunchPad development without actually having to set up LaunchPad to run on your own machine. You can sort of test your patches. And we'll have taken care of the, the environmental overhead for you. Um, this is something where an economy of scale will, will pay off for a great deal. I mean, for if we do it at all, it's easy for us to do it for 10 boxes as one, right? Or 100 boxes if we can afford it.
0: That's 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 really cool. Um, yeah. So, so I, I should I should
1: uh, admit that that although I think I may have mentioned this. Um, when I was before, just before I came on board, when I was interviewing, I don't think I've actually discussed that idea with anyone senior enough to approve it. Okay. So this again, this is not a promise. It's just the sort of direction that that I think we should go, which yeah. is, you know, making it really, really easy for people to improve Launchpad uh, in such a way that we we know that the changes will work on launchpad.net and we can make them go live as soon as possible.
0: Cool. So. Um, so yeah. I, uh, Launchpad isn't just hard or say so let's let's say more involved to get up and running but it's also uh, known for a learning curve w- w- for, for new developers uh, so is there anything we can do to help people become uh, contributors in a useful way uh, with, without having to climb uh, you know a everest style, size uh, mountain in order to, to to learn what's going on
1: well I think I think you do that through community bootstrapping. I mean there's there's only so much we can do to alleviate the the inherent complexity of launchpad. Obviously we can document the APIs. We can um, we can do some test-based documentation like, you know, if you know a document that says, "Okay, suppose you need to fix a bug in the bug tracker itself. Here's where you would start, here's where you'd look, etc." Um but basically with something that complex there are always going to be dozens of entry points. And and it just that's inescapable. What we can do is make sure that we set up an environment where once people have that expertise, uh, people outside Canonical, that they stick around and share it um, so that the developers, once they become experts, are, are given reasons to continue to participate in the mailing list, continue to participate in the bug tracker, and the forums, um, and in IRC especially. Uh, real-time chat is a very important way of getting in it, uh, questions answered quickly. And, and if we do that I think I think we sort of have a sponge a very very a sponge with a very very large surface area that absorbs a lot of the complexity you know we don't get rid of the complexity but we've got all these developers there to to see incoming requests and and save people a lot of time by answering questions quickly um, so I think building a developer community is is the most important thing it's not actually about reducing the complexity of the code it's about getting the right people to be the interface between the code and new developers.
0: So, so something that um, we haven't really spoken about a great deal publicly is, is the actual date that we're planning to, to go open source. I know some people have found out through UDS, but it's the, the 21st of July, is that right? 21st of July, 2009. So that's about seven and a half months from now. So, okay, that's seven and a half months away, and that's uh, you know a full year since... Uh, um, Mark made the the promise to go open source. So wh- wh- why is it taking so long?
1: Uh, well, I, I think part of that, we could probably do it faster if we really put our minds to it. I think part of that is that, um, you know, that date may be scheduled around a conference or something where the announcement is going to be made. Um, and also Mark was very wisely giving, you know, putting some padding in there to make sure we had time to do it right. Um, but we do need some of that time to do it right because, there's a lot of uh, not just technical organization and, and technical cleanup to do when you release something. There's also a lot of preparatory work uh, just on the administrative side. You have to go through the existing code and make sure that everything can be released as uh, free software. For example, there may be some licenses in there. Maybe we're depending on something that's not free software. I don't, I don't think we are. I don't know of anything, but you know, I haven't dug into the code, and, and other people may know something that I don't. Um, or we may be depending on something that is free software, but it's under a license that's incompatible with the one we want to release under. So uh, we have to do a thorough legal vetting. Uh, in addition to that, we want to uh, set up a contribution infrastructure. So that means we'd like to have a development, development documentation populated and ready to go, so that you know when we say, "Okay, Launchpad is open sourced," and people show up, and there's a page with a big, you know, to be done written on it, that's bad, right? We want to actually have that page finished telling them where to get the code, how to develop, what the coding guidelines are, things like that. We want a contributor license agreement uh, in place so that we we don't have any problems down the road with our right to use people's contributions. Um, You know, when somebody makes a patch to Launchpad, we don't want to own that patch necessarily, but we want to make sure that we have the legal right to use it. We don't want to just assume that because they posted it on a mailing list somewhere that we can incorporate it into the code. Um, projects sometimes run into trouble because they haven't gotten contributor license agreements. Um, so we want to avoid that, and, and wording that agreement, especially in the case of Canonical, which is an extremely international company, um, getting that agreement uh, written up takes some time and um, has to be vetted by various people. So there's a lot of a lot of background stuff to to open sourcing something right. I mean, if you're gonna if you just want to take your code and slap a license on it and throw it over the wall. We don't need to wait until July 21st to do that. We could just do that you know, this month probably. Um, but nobody's gonna to contribute to that code and if they did contribute to it, we wouldn't necessarily be able to use the contributions. So that's not the situation we want. Um, so we're, we've, got, we've built in some padding so that we can be, be ready to go when the announcement is made.
0: What's the next visible step then uh, from the point of view of someone who, who uses Launchpad and, and wants to see it open source? What will they see next?
1: Uh, I think the next thing they're going to see is the population of the development um, documentation, which actually means developer wiki. And following that, more and more developers taking their discussion into open channels. Um, I mean, one, one thing we've been doing, and actually a lot of this stuff is already visible uh, publicly, although we're not linking to it very prominently, is that um, the, the developer documentation for different parts of Launchpad and the coding guidelines and things are already becoming public, even though the source code itself is not public. Um, so, so like when we when we decide to document how we triage bugs or, or um, coding style guidelines or something, we're now putting those things in, into a public uh, wiki space, and we're the only ones who edit it right now. But you know, after we go open source, obviously that will be open to community contributions too. Um, I think there's going to be an interesting This is a a bit of a digression from the question you actually asked, but, you know, what the heck is a podcast? Um, There's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic around project governance because I think, you know, open source projects can be run in a variety of ways. You can have, like, uh, the typical benevolent dictatorship. The Linux kernel is a classic example of that. What Linux says goes. Linux just tries to exercise good judgment. And, of course, there's always a threat of a fork, so there's a force that uh, encourages him to exercise good judgment. Then there are projects that are run as um, flat-out democracies where every developer has a voice. They, you know, they choose an electorate, but then everything is done by consensus, um, and they vote if they can't reach consensus, and everybody has one vote. Um, I think that Launchpad is going to be a benevolent dictatorship, and the dictator is going to be canonical, not a person, but but the company. And then the developers within Canonical will make decisions using whatever processes they normally use. That doesn't mean that the community doesn't give any input. After all, the community can still fork it, and Canonical very much wants to avoid a fork, and that means we're going to listen, and that there's going to be real input and real, real guidance from the community on, on how things go. Um, but as far as the, the Launchpad that is running on Launchpad.net, which is the one that we're trying to center um, center not only development but usage around, for for business reasons and and because they have the highest uh, developer investment, Canonical has to retain some degree of control over that. I mean, you can't. Uh, it's it's I don't know who first said it, but but it's an old saying that you can't run a business as a democracy, um, and that's why boards of directors generally you know don't try to do that. They appoint executives and let the executives run it. Um, the the same thing is going to have to be true of this open source project, but that doesn't make it any less free software. It's still it's still open. It's still forkable. Um, so all of these things that people will be seeing over the coming uh, the coming months, like developer documentation being opened, for the beginning, uh, a lot of that is going to be sort of read-only. In that, I mean, somebody could show up and edit that wiki, but, but really, we're only expecting canonical developers to populate it. And then, as the code itself is opened, and people who are already heavy users of Launchpad start to say, Hey, now I can fix that bug that's been annoying me. Um, then we'll start to see more community influence over the the stuff that can't, clear, like the the documentation and the the, the uh, procedural guidelines, like how we how we prioritize bugs and things like that. Um, so I think that was a very uh, a very um, broad answer to the question you initially asked, but but I hope it gives some idea of what people will see over the next few months.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um... Just just to wrap up, kid, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came to launchpad
1: Oh sure yeah well, so I worked for um, still work um, doing small bug fixes, but I worked very intensely for uh, eight years depending on how you count on the subversion project um, which was a real education in how to uh, how to run an open source project starting from scratch um, and how to, you know, how to get volunteers involved. And although I was mainly programming on subversion, um, I was also sort of trying to do community building, and I began to see that the community building was a lot more complex than the programming. I mean, there are some, there are some complex parts of subversion and and uh, especially complex parts of CVS-to-SVN, the, the uh, CVS-to-subversion converter, which turns out to be more complicated than subversion itself. So there was a lot of, of heavy-duty programming to be done, but the really interesting stuff, the really hard stuff, was in getting the community to work well together. Um, some people came to it very naturally. They sort of knew how to play well in the sandbox. Um, other people, without mentioning any names, less so. And so after about five or six years of that, uh, I approached O'Reilly. We'd been talking about doing a subversion book. In fact, I'd, I had initially agreed to and then said, no, you know, I think the book that I'd really like to write uh, is one about how you run an open source project, how you start it, how you build a community, and things like that. So I did write that book. Um, you can; it's online at producingoss.com. The title is "Producing Open Source Software." Um, but one of the things I focused on in the book was the importance of having your tools work right. Um, it's it's all very well to come into an open source community with, or to build an open source community with great intentions about, you know, how you're going to how you're going to run the project, what kind of governance structure there's going to be, how you're going to treat people, the kind of tone you're going to set on the mailing list, things like that. But nothing beats having good tools. That is, that's like, you know, the right, the right tool can can just completely solve a problem in a way that all the good intentions and community procedures can't. Um, I mean, some problems. there Obviously, there are problems where you, where, that are strictly human and can only be resolved by political means. But a great example is um, we uh, had to, we were getting a lot of new contributors in Subversion, which is great. But it was actually beginning to be a problem to evaluate them because when somebody was proposed to become a new maintainer, uh, that is someone who has the right to make changes that show up automatically in the next release, you know, they don't have to go through any gateways to do that. Well, to find a new maintainer, you have to go back and evaluate all the person's patches and and sort of look at who was involved in those patches and maybe talk to those people. I mean, what other developers were involved in them. And simply, the task of finding those patches, digging them all up, is actually kind of cumbersome. I mean, you can do a Google search and you can look through the mailing list, but but there's a lot of bureaucratic overhead to doing that. And what was happening is someone would propose an existing contributor to become a maintainer. Um, This happened on a private mailing list. And there would be this silence because... It's not that we thought the person shouldn't be a maintainer. It's that none of us had the time to go digging up all that history. So we wrote a tool to automatically keep track of uh, patch submissions from people so that when the time came to evaluate them for maintainership, you could just go to this web page, um, which is publicly visible. Anyone can go to it now. And it would show a list, basically, of all the patches they'd made that had ended up in subversion. Um, as well as all the bugs they'd found that someone else had fixed um, and suggestions they'd made and and things like that. Um, And then from there, you could trace through, uh, because we we are careful to maintain records of this stuff, you could trace through to their mailing list posts and things like that and see whether they were also polite on the mailing list and things uh, that are also important. And so by removing the, the technical overhead of digging up a person's contribution history, we suddenly revived our ability to incorporate new, new contributors. Um, I mean, it never totally died out, but it certainly slowed down, and all of a sudden it became easy again. And our rate of accepting new contributors went up. So that was an example of how it wasn't, it wasn't a political solution. It wasn't a matter of telling everybody to get off their, their duff and, and yeah. go do some work. You just have to insert the right tool. This is all a long way of saying that the thing that interested me about Launchpad and why I started talking to Canonical about this job was Launchpad is sort of the ultimate tool solution to a lot of collaboration problems. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's the only, the only uh, site and now going to be the only open-sourced site that I know of where their mission is sort of exactly what I was interested in too, which is if you were going to design something that solved every technical problem about getting free software communities to work together. What would it look like? And Launchpad is trying to be the answer to that question. Obviously, it's you know like any any such ambitious project, it has a long way to go. But it is completely focused on that question, and I find that really interesting. Okay. Uh, that's something I really want to contribute to.
0: Carl Fogel, it's been fascinating talking up. to you, and um, I think. The, the fact that we're open sourcing Launchpad is, you know, really exciting to me personally, and I know that a lot of the people listening will be o- over the moon about what we've discussed today. Um, so I, I really think it'd be great to talk to you again on the podcast in future to, to catch up on how things are going. You be happy to do that?
1: Uh, I'd love to. Thank you for asking me.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, um, thanks very much for listening, and thanks for joining me, Carl. Um, we'll speak well speak again on the on a future podcast. Cheers. Mm-hmm.